Imagine you had a perfectly healthy four-year-old son, and overnight he turned into a spastic quadriplegic who could no longer walk, talk, or eat. On top of that, you had no answers. The disease would later be found or diagnosed as mitochondrial disease, which there was very little research around. In fact, Blaine, as a Canadian, found very little research or support on the disease in general and had to go to the U.S. to find out more details about it, which is where MitoCanada came into play. Blaine has raised thousands and thousands of dollars, bringing together the running community in the area, born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, as I was. Very cool to sit across from Blaine, learn about his story, how his son's doing, following along on social media as well. I love seeing his posts and what he's doing and what he's up to. He's changed the whole running community. He's changed the whole concept and knowledge around mitochondrial disease and what it is. And again, that's where Mito Canada came from. And it's such a, an incredible thing from nothing from 12 years ago to what it is today is absolutely incredible. So if you don't know what mitochondrial disease is, and if you've never heard of Mito Canada, you will now. So I hope you enjoy this interview and I hope you get something out of learning more about what this is because it really could have happened to anyone. Any one of us could be sitting across in from someone else like myself and talking about something like this coming out of nowhere and having absolutely no answers. I, I can't, couldn't even imagine what Blaine has gone through and what they continue to go through. But it's uh, there's always ups and downs and there's better days and, and Blaine's open and honest about it and he openly shares and posts about it. And it's a really cool story to to watch and follow and be a part of and I'm so grateful that Blaine came on to talk about everything that goes on and what it what it's about. So I hope you enjoy. This is Drew and you're listening to the Transformations Through Running Podcast. Give me some of your background into getting into endurance running. Then, of course, we'll get into mitochondrial disease. And Yeah, you, you know, it all started, I would say, when I was a young kid. I, I loved sport, and uh, my parents were, were active. I, I grew up in a small town in Newfoundland, uh, and I could walk out my back door, and I had trails that went everywhere. You know, we, we hiked and would ski to go fishing, and, you know, it just it was just a way of life of just, being active in the outdoors and, you know, boating, fishing, those types of things. So, uh, and I played hockey as a kid, but we had, I grew up in a small town of 2000 people, you know, every year, a bunch of hooligans would vandalize our rink. And, and finally the town said, you know what, we're, we're not fixing it up anymore. So, uh, and sport, to, you know, I just always loved sport and hockey. I had the dream of playing in the NHL, like every other kid who <laughs> put on a pair of skates, uh, but after that, I thought, well, what am I going to do next? And that, ironically, at that time, we had a new teacher move for our community who was a cross-country skier and started a cross-country ski club. So I, uh, we had always skied just to, you know, just like I said, just more functionally to, uh, you know, to get out and enjoy the outdoors. So we signed up for the Jackrabbits, lo- local Jackrabbit ski club that, that uh, Mr. Green had started up. And from there, I, I just 
fell in love with skiing. And the funny thing was, I was awful at it. And I remember uh, we traveled to the first first race. It was called the Cyanet, which was about uh, an hour drive from from the town I grew up in. And I remember, and we had like crappy old wooden skis and gear. Like we had no idea how to do anything, right? But you know, we we were there. And I remember doing the race, and my ski kept falling off. And I think I finished pretty close to last. But you know, it was just. But you know, it was one of those things ingrained to me is just i thought i can do better like i knew that I, I enjoyed it and i thought i can do better and so again i you know i, I kept you know i kept you know skiing more and you know we'd, we'd go to more of these events uh yeah and eventually got some better skis and actually started racing uh you know more around the province and i and i just fell in love with the sport i just love that movement of you know moving through the outdoors on skis in the winter i mean i love the winter and so it kind of all grew from there and then uh i had a french teacher through my high school uh who was who's a real he was a big runner and he said blaine if you're going to be a good skier you need to be a runner and i hated running i mean it hurt uh it wasn't fun uh so i eventually kind of signed up the cross-country running team and the track and field team to to do a bit of running but you know i i had to force myself to do it um so it was always sort of a necessary evil as a skier to stay fit that you had to train in the off season so that was kind of my, my introduction to running uh, and I did do some some running races through high school and then some cross country running through through university and a, a few odd races here and there um, and then when I moved out west uh, about seventeen years ago to to calgary uh, I wanted to climb mountains my my dream at that point was to become a, a high altitude mountaineer uh, I really wanted to get into backcountry skiing and i I wanted to explore you know, the, the, the mountains and travel to the big mountain ranges uh, of the Himalayas and the Andes and, and that type of thing and, and climb. But, uh, and fascinated with climbing, read a lot about, you know, big expedition climbing. So I realized that, that your, your speed and skill in the mountains is probably your biggest safety, your greatest safety net that you have. Um, so, you know, I, I would run up mountains. And so instead of, you know, so to me, it was more purposeful than just running down the road going, Hey, am I done yet? <laughs> but, you know, there's all these trails in the mountains. You can, you know, that are two or three day hikes. You can go run them in a day. Uh, so, so I, you know, kind of cut my teeth in the mountains, um, you know, climbing as many peaks as I could and, uh, and got more into technical climbing, alpine climbing. Um, and it wasn't until um, we had kids that I realized the amount of risk of, of climbing. And it doesn't matter how good you are. Uh, there's a lot of uh, objective hazard out there that just, you know, if you're in the wrong spot at the wrong time, you know, it could be an avalanche, could be rockfall, uh, you know, it could be anything like that that could, you know, could take your life. So that's when I started running more just for day-to-day fitness uh, it's convenient you know, obviously with a with a family you have less time in your life and you know a pair of running shoes is simple right you put them on you can go you can run anywhere um but it wasn't until about eight years ago to be honest through when, when my son evan got sick with mitochondrial disease that it was a it really kind of stared me in the face how important it was to relieve stress and running was the most accessible thing for me to do to, to relieve that stress. So at, at that point in time was, I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to sign myself up for every <laughs> local trail running race. I mean, I 
love running on trails and exploring the outdoors. So that was when I basically signed up for a whole bunch of local uh, running races through like Five Peaks, which is a local uh, running trail race series, uh, and really learned to run and, and fell in love with running. So when you said, so the main reason that you kind of started running, I suppose, running the long distances locally at the beginning is to reduce stress? Yeah, yeah, definitely to, to reduce stress. And uh, like I said, I, I never really enjoyed running that much. Um, so initially it was to, was to reduce stress. And then, you know, that, that year would have been back in 2008 when I uh, had started running more. I, I'd already run a couple ultras at that point, but I was just dabbling. I was just experimenting. You know, I just like, Hey, what's it like to run hundred K? I went and did it, but I wasn't running that much. It's <laughs> certainly in retrospect compared to what I'm doing now is kind of, kind of silly, right? It was like, man, what were you thinking? <laughs> sucker, <laughs> sucker for punishment. Right. Uh, but yeah, at that point in time, and the other, the other piece that was really cool is I, I met some amazing folks who were part of the running community and, and that's where, um, you know, it was sort of a, I guess, a, a blessing in disguise where, um, you know, that people have, you know, that the people we met, uh, I would say through those first couple of years of running has become, you know, my, my social network of, of folks I hang out with mostly today and, and, uh, you know, met some amazing people. And, and over the years we've, you know, we've, we've, you know, run consistently together. We've traveled to races, you know, all over North America together. And yeah, so it's sort of a, yeah, it's, it's been great. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I think everyone's looking for something like that in some way, but maybe you didn't do it on purpose, but I think we all want to feel like we're, we're a part of a team or we're part of whether it's a movement or a exercise group. I think it, it means so much to push forward health, fitness, reduce stress, whatever it is. Yeah, and, and at that time as well, uh, one of the guys I met, uh, his name is Duncan Marsden, and he had just moved here from the UK. And there's a really strong club community in the UK when it comes to running, and uh, so he started up a a group called the Bow Valley Harriers. And so again, it was just like this completely informal running group, but it, it was just a way to, to pull runners together locally here. And, you know, we entered you know, a lot of relays together, these, that type of thing. So we create a real camaraderie within the running group. Um, Cause prior to that, I didn't really know anyone who, who was, you know, ran that much. Right. So, I mean, I ran with a couple of guys at work at lunchtime and stuff, but aside from that, I didn't know anyone in the running community. So that kind of really brought us together. And then when my son Evan got sick in 2008 and, and in 2009, when we found out he had mitochondrial disease you know, we started Mito Canada, uh, and then we realized how sport is a great platform as well for bringing people together to, you know, to compete for a greater cause. And that was, again, another element that just helped snowball bringing, bringing people together, um, to, you know, to, to help raise awareness for, for Mito Canada and, and, and that disease. Let's talk about more about that right now. What is, yeah. well, why don't you, what, where, what, what, where would be the best way to start? The Mito Canada came about by raising awareness for mitochondrial disease. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, for, from my standpoint, it was like, like literally, um, eight, eight years ago when my boy Evan was, was four, perfectly normal kid, um, literally wakes up one morning with a sore stomach, uh, it appeared to be appendicitis. We take him to the hospital. Uh, they do an ultrasound on his appendix and they can't see it. So they thought it had either ruptured or uh, was hidden behind another organ. And they, they suggested, 
removing it. So they wheel him into surgery and uh, poor little dude looks at me square in the eyes and he says, daddy, can we play together again sometime? And I just thought that was such a weird thing uh, for him to say, wheel him in the surgery. They take out his appendix. His appendix was fine. Uh, he slipped into a coma, didn't wake up for a week and suffered a severe brain injury. And, and he was very unstable for, for months and months and months, started developing seizures. Uh, and we just didn't know what was going on. They, they initially diagnosed him with a, uh, with a type of encephal, encephalomyelitis that uh, is kind of like your, your, your immune system packs the brain, right? And, but it took a year for us to get him stabilized. He started developing seizures and kind of trying to treat seizures to the point where we could do some more invasive testing. And once we did that invasive testing, it, it indicated he had a mitochondrial disease. So at that point in time, the doctor that gives us that news says, you know, it looks like your son has mitochondrial disease. And we're like, well, what's mitochondrial disease? Had never heard of it. And he pointed us to an organization in the U.S. called the United Mitochondrial Disease Foundation uh, that puts on an annual conference uh, and has a, a part of that conference that's focused on, on parents and the support component. Because at that time, there was no organization in Canada that provided awareness or support for families with, with mitochondrial disease. So from there, I went and I attended that conference met some other families and we said you know wouldn't it be great if we had something like this back in canada so when we got back we sort of made it a, a, a pact to, to, to get back on the on the phone and, and talk about creating something so we did over a period of time after that um every sunday night we get on the phone we talk about you know could we be a chapter of this organization well if we're going to be a a standalone uh, organization and and want to issue tax receipts well you know we, we've got to be registered with cra so anyway Mito Canada evolved out of that with a with kind of three objectives. One was to to, to raise awareness for the cause. Uh, the second one was to provide support for families, and third was to um, to raise money to fund research for better therapies and and hopefully for a cure one day. So that was that was kind of how how it all started. We, like I said, we had never heard of uh, the disease. So there's that whole discovery of, okay, what is this? What does it mean? What's the prognosis for Evan? Um, yeah, and that was that's where it all started. What, what specifically is it when someone says to you, you know, what's mitochondrial disease? What do you tell them? Yeah, so basically it's a disease that affects the, uh, the cell's ability to produce energy. So all of our cells, except for red blood cells, have mitochondria and mitochondria is what takes the food we eat and when it gets broken down chemically and absorbed in in our body um, it's the mitochondria that turns that energy into atp in our cells and that's what powers our cells so for people who have this disease their mitochondria they either have less mitochondria or their mitochondria doesn't function properly so their cells get taxed to be able to produce enough energy to to function and if enough cells are impacted in a specific organ then obviously it can af affect uh, the, the impact of, of that organ and its ability to function and it tends to affect more the energy intensive organs things like you know the brain you know the you know the muscular system the heart gi system that type of thing how common is this so it's about one in four thousand, and so that's one of the misconceptions with this disease. It's a oh, it's a rare disease, but it's you know similar to say cystic fibrosis, which most people know of. Um, but the challenge is because 
people who have mitochondrial disease, they don't just present in any one given way. Um, you know, there's there's over a thousand mutations that can cause a mitochondrial disease, and it's such a very broad spectrum of how one presents from someone who could just be kind of like lacking energy and and kind of more chronic fatigue like symptoms to someone like Evan who suffers a severe. Um, energy blockout and a brain injury as a result, you know, and becomes a, a quadriplegic and, and, you know, and struggles to, to thrive, you know? So how can someone, I guess, how, how can someone get tested or, or have a better idea that this is something they may have? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, there's a couple, a couple ways. I mean, uh, I'd say the number one way is if someone, uh, w- what happens is, uh, well, it's estimated that less than 10% of the people actually have the disease even know it. So they're being treated for symptoms of, you know, it could be GI issues, or it could be a heart issue, or it could be a brain injury, where they're being treated for, like I said, the, the symptom, but the root cause of that has not been determined. So for people who have ongoing issues, and you probably know if someone's got some weird kind of funky metabolic genetic stuff going on that just can't be explained, I, I think being referred to see a metabolics doctor uh, is a first step so they can get the testing done. So there's a multiple tests that are done through like an MRI, uh, um, a muscle microscopy. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's several other tests that are done, you know, looking at blood work and these types of things. And they kind of piece together, um, you know, information from all of those tests to look at, um, you know, whether or not somebody uh, has a mitochondrial disease, and then they can zone in on testing uh, the precise, to, to determine the precise gene that's mutated that's causing that. So the, the exciting part about the diagnostics component, I mean, that's very, call that the analog method, right? I mean, it takes multiple pieces of information to be put together to kind of tell that story. Um but what's really exciting now is the advancement of genetics and next next, uh, next generation DNA sequencing. Now that we've sequenced the whole human genome, um, the cost to do uh, sequencing is is fractions of the cost of what it was even just 10 years ago. So uh, next gen sequencing, you'll be able to take a you know a drop of blood or or a swab you know from you know of saliva and be able to test that and sequence all those thousand genes and and be able to diagnose a lot quicker than than we've been able to in the past. So you guys, your organization, Mito Canada, is raising money for research around doing stuff like this. You bet. Yeah. So, yeah. So approximately I think 30 to 50 percent of the, the funds that Mito Canada uh, has raised has been, been channeled towards uh, uh, the research side of things. It's, I don't know what our numbers are, but it's, it's over half a million dollars that we've channeled towards uh, uh, research in the last uh, five, six years. And, and supporting like local projects here as well through the Alberta Children's Hospital on helping develop and advance the, the next-gen DNA sequencing diagnostics. And, and one of the challenges, too, when you think about bringing new technologies, like there's no gold standard established of, you know, what's the protocol of how we actually test a sample. So it's a lot of work that has to go into creating sort of that uh, that consistent approach. Because um, if you've got, you know, one hospi- hospital that tests this way and another hospital that tests this way, and they each get different results, well, which one is, is correct? So there's a lot of, we're sort of in the early stages of, of that, but, 
uh, yeah, we're supporting uh, the advancement of the diagnostics here at the Alberta Children's Hospital using that, those techniques, uh, as well as uh, some research as well through uh, the University of Calgary that's looking at stem cells and its ability to, uh, um, to, you know, to help uh, understand mitochondrial function and, and how stem cells could potentially um, uh, help that on that front as well. And, Lots of other research projects out east with uh, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky out of, out of Hamilton um, and, and other projects, uh, I think, out of, out of Quebec as well in Ontario. And how, how directly are you involved? Do you get to, I don't know if it's, a, uh, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but I mean, yeah. you as a parent, as someone who's concerned, as someone that helps raise money, how directly involved are you in, in the in the research end of helping them, I guess, helping them out? Yeah. Um, so what we, what we did was, so my, so my role within Mito Canada was, you know, I was, you know, one of the founders and, and I, I chaired the board up until, uh, September, uh, 2015. So I, I've stepped back from the board now and just acting as more of an advisor to the board and, and an ambassador for, you know, for team Mito Canada. But, uh, from the research standpoint, we set up a, a research committee, uh, and they would, uh, put together an RFP on an annual basis and solicit uh, projects from, from universities and researchers um, with, you know, with basic criteria that's spelled out of what we're looking to achieve. So we sort of had like a, um, yeah, this committee that would oversee that and, and really other than, um, so from my standpoint and, and the board standpoint, we would allocate it, you know, X number of dollars towards uh, grants that year. And then we would look to the research committee to make recommendations on, on what type of projects we should pursue and, and how we go about that. And we would basically just approve that as a board. You guys are doing all kinds of different things with your, your running. Tell me about, Tell me about raising money or raising awareness when you go on one of your long runs. Why don't you tell us about some of your runs? Because yeah. I know you're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it started with, uh, you know, a number of years ago, we're, we're going to, actually, it was a ski race. The, the World Masters Cross Country Ski Championships were in Sovereign Lake, BC. And a friend of mine said, hey, you know, maybe we should get like a Mito kit done up because we had just started Mito Canada at that point. Uh, you know, and we'll be like skiing billboards with people at see Mito Canada and ask, hey, what is it? So that just snowballed from, from hey, let's get a, a running, you know, singlets to let's get a, a cycling kit set up. So because, you know, you know, our circle of friends were very active and out doing races all over the place. Uh, and then it, it I met a guy by the name of, of Kyle McLaughlin and he's a he's an eMERGE doc who lives in, in Canmore. Uh, and, and it was a race that a friend of mine was putting on there in support of Mito Canada, uh, Tony Smith from, from, uh, Grizzly Mountain events there to help raise money for Mito Canada. And I met Kyle there and Kyle said, you know, he had young kids. Here he is a doctor, knows very little about the disease. He's like, Hey, I want to help. So he came on board and kind of just really sort of kind of, uh, helped formulate what we've, what we've called Team Mito Canada. And, uh, and started, you know, looking at what events that people were doing and that type of thing. So that just kind of snowballed. We just wanted to get as many people out there wearing that gear at races. And and within, you know, two years, we had over 300 people across Canada who were running and racing in triathlons and ski races and running races and bike races wearing this gear. And it just kind of just, you know, 
went like wildfire across uh, the sporting community, which is really cool. Uh, so from there, um, we're having you know great success with this. And we thought, okay, how can we scale this even more? And then along came the Calgary Marathon. Had uh, they have a charity challenge, so uh, any charity can sign up to be part of the charity challenge. So we signed up, you know, four or five years ago as, as Mito Canada. Uh, we thought it's a great way to draw more people in to hopefully want to run for for our charity. Uh, and we had great success. We raised like $25,000 and it was so easy compared to putting on our own events. Like, I don't know if you've ever put on an event, but it's a lot of work, right? <laughs> so if you look at return for the effort, we're like, oh, this is great. And then uh, I realized that they have every year they feature two charities. And I thought, wow, I mean, you know, if we could be a feature charity, It'd be awesome. I mean, they do so much promotion out there for your charity and what you're about. Uh, and I thought that would be fantastic. So we put together a proposal and we got, you know, so the following year in 2013, we became a feature charity. So from there, it was like, okay, um, what can we do that's above and beyond just showing up with a bunch of people running, you know, in the same color T-shirt that can help us raise awareness? So the guys I run with, again, every Sunday we're out doing our long run, you know, yeah, talking about, you know, whatever comes up. But it's a great way to, you know, to, to spitball some ideas. And one of the guys like, hey, you know, we should do something really neat at the marathon. And, you know, maybe we tie ourselves together and run in the centipede this just races in the u.s where they do that and you know let's let's try and go for guinness world record so one of the guys started digging and they found that there was a record for the fastest marathon by a linked team so you know if there's five guys tied together so uh, we looked into it made an application to guinness and uh and they uh they said yep you guys can you can do a, a, an attempt here you just need a minimum of five people you can have as many as you want and all you have to do is be tied together and there's a whole bunch of rules but uh you, you basically run the entire marathon tied together so we thought okay we had 10 people who were who were interested in doing this and uh, we, we pulled ourselves together and we went for it and managed to pull off getting the guinness world record and it was insane drew like just it was so moving you know just can you imagine you know we ran it was a 255 marathon so it was uh so it wasn't a snail's pace by any means and uh <laughs> and, and logistics you know of, of running you know tied together stopping for pee breaks <laughs> <laughs> i tell you it was hilarious <laughs> you know navigating corners and but uh it was it was very special and it really you know brought this group of folks together and and you know since then we've just been you know, met guys like Dave Proctor who, you know, want to get involved. And it's really just sort of captivated the local running community um, to to want to do something to make a difference. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Transformations Through Running. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sticking around till the end. So grateful for you to be part of our community here that we're growing online. Our main website is trueformlife.com. This is where you can find out more details. We're basically a lifestyle company. We do fitness, nutrition, meal planning, at-home workouts. We specialize in digestion and energy. And our main purpose or mission is to change your life forever without question we're not in it for a short time we're not looking for a weekend fast we give you lifestyle tips 
to naturally improve your health one day at a time every single day for the rest of your life. That's what we're about. We're on Facebook.com slash TrueFormLife. If you'd like to follow us along there, we have many challenges. We have different things going on to help you stay interested and motivated and working toward that healthy lifestyle that you're looking for. We're also on Instagram.com slash DrewTadia. We're posting up there a couple times a day as well. We have new recipes coming out weekly. We have new podcasts coming up, not just for transformations through running, but also exploring mind and body, which is where my journey began in the radio world, along with podcasting. So if you'd like to follow us along there, exploringmindandbody.com is our main website. And then we're also on iTunes, Stitcher, all the different podcasting platforms you can find along with Terrestrial Radio. So very excited that show is almost 10 years running. So this is kind of a branch out from that. But we always love to be a part of the running community. It's really cool. I got a chance to meet Blaine. He's from Calgary. That's where I grew up, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We both grew up there. And I still have lots of friends and family in the area. So it's really great to sit down and talk to Blaine and share his story and what he's doing and what he's about. It's so cool to see people running with Mito Canada shirts on. You see them running. This past weekend, we saw them biking in the mountains in BC. Like it's a it's a big thing. I know that a lot of our audience is in the California area where we launched this show. A lot of our audience is in the U.S. But there's oh, we have some really cool stories coming from Canada as well. So we're excited to share them, those stories with you as well. So we hope you enjoyed. If we can help out at all, please shoot us a message. We're very personable. We can we can send a message back very easily. So if uh, we can help out with anything, send us a message, and we, we will definitely connect. So thank you again for being here, and we hope to catch you on the next show.